Shannon DeVito is the director of books at Barnes and Noble in New York City. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> so I love this title of yours. What does it incorporate? It is a title I never thought I'd have the luck to have. I didn't think that there was such a thing. Um, <laughs> my family is always like, how did you pull this one off? It is very much entrenched in developing a lot of our priorities for the company. So our stores and our booksellers do such a good job about, you know, understanding what's right for their market, and making decisions for their stores. But from a from a thousand foot perspective, working with the publishers on what those big books are going to be, what the exclusives are going to be, um, what's trending in the backlist. So when things in social media are starting to pop and there's, you know, like dark academia or spicy romance, you know, starting to identify a lot of those things. So the booksellers have the tools to make really exciting displays and, you know, have conversations with customers every day. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of books. It's a lot of conversations. It's a lot of, you know, getting to work on really cool exclusive material with authors and just talking about books every day. So I have a team of amazing people too, because uh, obviously there's a lot of subjects in our company and we all work together on what the priorities are. So what do you mean by exclusives? Just with kind of new titles or even backlist titles where we want to do a collector edition of something, really thinking about books as kind of a piece of art or an experience um, is starting to make more just Barnes and Noble editions that you can only find at Barnes and Noble. So there's additional written content from the author or the edges are colored or there's a ribbon marker or there's a different case stamp or there's a full Q&A or there's photos or there's, you know, writing process, kind of a dive into the writing process with notations. So just kind of creating a more well-rounded experience for the titles that, you know, we read and are really excited about. So it's value added on top of the regular trade edition. Is that right? Correct. But it's it's almost always the same price as the trade edition. It's just additional content. Sometimes it's an extra chapter or an epilogue or, you know, it kind of adds to the reading experience. And does it have Barnes and Noble's imprint on it? We put stickers. So um, there's stickers that say Barnes and Noble exclusive. And, you know, we're really thoughtful about where we want to develop exclusives and where, where it really is, you know, wanted by the reader or that customer and look to just do more and more of it. So this is a way for you to differentiate yourself from the other independent bookstores and Costco and, 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 and Walmart and people like that. Is that it? Exactly. It's really about being the authority in the book space, which we have been. We have the most books and mortar. We have talented booksellers who know, and it's creating that reading experience you can't get somewhere else. Right. And how is your relationship with the smaller independent bookstores? It's good. You know, that's from my perspective that bookstores are good for other bookstores. We love having bookstores around, having people physically come into stores and talk about books and discuss books. You know, Indies and us are really 
the holding out on just a fully digital landscape. And we've had a fantastic few years, honestly, despite the, the pandemic in the year 2020 was tough on everyone for so many different emotional, physical reasons. And obviously there were a lot of kind of outside forces there, but the love for the book community that people found and the solace that they found in the reading experience, both with us and Indies, I think um, was really a silver lining to a lot of what's happened in the last few years. There's really kind of been this reading renaissance of people either are discovering their love of reading for the first time if they're they're either much younger or they never got into it or they're rediscovering their passion for it where they needed a break from screens. They wanted to see other people, even if it was from a distance and it was kind of building a community, whether it's with us or Indies to find an escape. So with these exclusives, would you say that you are, instead of sort of slashing prices, which is, which is what got Indies upset in the first place, you are just basically adding something. So you're not you're not competing with them on price as much as you used to. Right. And and the pricing is really now locally driven in, in most markets. It's very much a decision based on where the store is, but it is very much about where we can add content and value to the product and it, to what we're offering so that it's not you know, what Amazon does is a loss leader. And that's, that's not sustainable for authors and publishers and, and people trying to make a living off of it. So um, yeah, it is, it's looking at the content that we can add and the, really the kind of full-blown experience of, of what that book is, and then being able to cherish that book, because books are items that really speak to you know, I know me and all my friends and my family of of what your bookshelf says about you and how you organize it and what's on it. And um, what are those kind of special editions that exemplify your favorite books or your new favorite books or your favorite authors or the the authors you're now a, um, just evangelist for? It's it's nice to be able to create some of those things. We're we're also privileged to work in the book industry. So to kind of think creatively about what we can develop for people and new and work with artists, artists and um, you know, authors are artists, so cover artists and <laughs> and word artists on on what that offering is. So as director of books, your job is really to be creative about selling and coming up with new ideas on how you can again differentiate yourself from Amazon well so what's the difference you're trying to develop you know what more differences more reasons not to shop online we are trying to remind and establish everyone that we are the best at recommending we have the best books with the content that you're looking for in it. We have these relationships with authors and have, you know, exciting blog posts and guest posts and, you know, post from characters points of view where mm. it, it's kind of an extension of the world. You know, my job really is thinking creatively about how to continue to establish ourselves as the book authority. We, we are the experts and it's kind of regaining that relationship with 
readers across the country. So, you know, I oversee the team and then I also focus on fiction. Um, so that's my, that's my side hustle. That's also a big hustle where I oversee the fiction category. (laughs) So it's a lot of reading and, and developing, um, you know, books. And I love, you know, so many of my friends are like, oh, so you just, you know, you sit at your desk and you're just paging through books and you're just reading all day and then deciding what you like. And, you know, in a, in a perfect world, if that job existed, there would be a hunger games for who could have that job because it is very much falling asleep on my couch at 1130 at night with a book on my face, trying to catch up of the, you know, 2000 fiction books that are published every month. So it is starting to, um, you know, working with, with some publishers, but really going through and reading and deciding what we like as a bookseller. It's not dictated by publishers anymore based on how much they paid for the acquisition or what their marketing plan is, but really being anchored in the read and the content and how, you know, we believe in it too. So this is how we want to make it big at BNN and make it big for that author. Okay. This is where I'm going to bring in Adolf A. Crotch. Now, Adolf was a bookseller, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to quote from an essay in his of his in Bookselling in America and the World, Some Observations and Recollections in Celebration of the 75th Anniversary of the American Booksellers Association. So here comes a couple of paragraphs from Adolf. Here is the fourth fundamental principle for the successful bookseller to make the public want the books you want them to read. This power to mold the mental requirements of the public must be wielded with tact, discretion, and absolute honesty. I succeeded in impressing my clients with the fact that reading good books is not only a pastime, a sport of a thousand thrills, but also a profitable occupation as it elevates the reader above the dull crowd, offers him the best topic of conversation among intelligent people, and entitles him to the privileges of the only true aristocracy the aristocracy of the mind, of the mind. He can also share this distinction and pay the finest compliment to his friends' intellects by giving them books as gifts for any and every occasion. To be met in a bookstore known for its good books is really a worthwhile distinction. And then just finally, The mentally alert bookseller has a further opportunity, if not duty, to improve the taste of the reading public. When a genuine effort is made to impress the reader with the beauties of literature in contrast with the shallowness of near literature, it will usually meet with success. It has to be done gradually, tactfully, and persistently. The bookseller's own enthusiasm for literature and his belief that the public is susceptible to good books are his best assistance, genuine gratitude, and affection of attached Active buyers will be the bookseller's ample reward. What do you think about that? I think he sounds like a very smart man. I agree with most of that, but I do think 
there feels like a thread of pretension almost with what he's saying. That is not like he knows best. Yeah. And, you know, that is not at least our aesthetic right now. We are there is no wrong way to read. We want to give you the best books in each category. And if you are reading spicy romance, we're going to get you the best spicy romance. If you are reading World War II. It's your opinion of in each category. Right. Which is like with any kind of art piece. It's the types of writing you gravitate towards. It's graphic novels. It's illustrated books. It's, you know, it really depends on where you gravitate. That's the beauty of a bookstore is the diversity in what we have in every single shelf in terms of titles and offerings within each category. We have over 90 subjects and carrying the breadth and the assortment that's really speaks to what to read in that area is an exciting, it's an exciting job to have. I love meeting friends in a bookstore. I'm in our bookstore every day. (laughs) I, you know, there's, there's something about being surrounded by knowledge and passion. And, you know, every single book is a passion project for the people who make and develop it. So I think being surrounded by that does make both the reader and the bookseller feel great. Booksellers like to have the conversation and of course make recommendations because it ultimately comes down to relationships and developing the community with who's reading and those relationships and understanding what the reader is looking for is really what we are, what our goal is. Yeah. I don't think a book is really kind of finished until you've actually talked to someone about it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the reason that I'm talking to you today is that I received an email from Barnes and Noble informing me that the rabbit hutch, a novel by Tess Gunty had won your discover prize. So I did a little searching and then I found out that it actually had won Waterstone's debut fiction prize. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is an American author and it first won the prize in England. What's that all about? We, it's so funny. So that this was not intentional that they announced first and it's the same book, but it's the way that both of us approached it separately because we don't talk That's much about overall know. priorities. Yep. I'm very, I'm very, because of course, James Daunt is the head of both. He is. Yes. So wait a sec. You're telling me that this was just a pure coincidence. So there is a panel and a whole system that B who oversees fiction at Waterstone set up for their um, first ever debut fiction prize. Hundreds of booksellers. They started with lists of a hundred books and they pulled it down and they had a short list and they all voted for, for rabbit hutch. Wow. I had a committee, <laughs> a committee yeah. of over 40 booksellers been working on the fiction books. It, it was our discover pick in August. So we have a discover pick every month too. Okay. And it was the book that everyone kept coming back to and said her voice, the prose, the rawness of it, the, the way she approaches her characters and just the sweltering feel of what the book is, it, you, it won both. The, okay. you know, and that may not happen again. It may not happen every year, but it is, it, it's also a finalist for the National Book Award. So yes. very hopeful for her. That's next month. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I saw that, I said, either there's something funny going on here or this is a really good book. It's a book that deserves to be read and discussed because there's always something different in it that people will gravitate towards. And the committee of booksellers I have are from across the country. Very, you know, it's not just the Midwest. It's not clearly the UK also had a very different opinion. Yeah. Um, because it does thing. take place in the Rust Belt. Yeah. Um, but people, you know, the visceral reaction, especially I, you know, I dare someone to read the first two pages and not want to keep reading. She she's really c- came storming on the scene with one hell of a debut and it made booksellers excited to have that type of fresh freshness in the prose, I think. And honestly, you know, I'm very biased, but our entire list of our, our shortlist for the Discover Prize, there's so much talent right now. There's just so many really skilled, passionate, wonderful authors across the board. So it's a really exciting time to just be able to you know, celebrate a lot of this talent, but this book kept kind of coming up again and again and again and again for months. So, okay. The cynic in me says, uh, that's going to be pretty easy for all, you know, the marketing materials all going to be using the same text. For us and for Waterstones. Pretty close. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we have totally different teams. We are not the same company. We don't really talk to them. We okay. are separate entities. But you're going to look at it. But we we do things months ahead for both, and we don't send each other things until if it's up on their website, there <laughs> it is. If it's up on our website, there it is. <laughs> okay. 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 I'll get off this now. So why are you getting into the prize business? This isn't new. We had the Discover Awards for decades, and we put a pause on it for three years during the pandemic and while, you know, figuring everything out. And now we're just really back to celebrating talent. It's just a slightly new format where there's just one fiction winner, but this isn't, this isn't new. Okay. But I guess what it does is it gives you the opportunity to kind of, instead of waiting on a, waiting on another prize to announce and then sort of scrambling to get all the books in the store, you've got more lead time with this, haven't you? Because it's your prize. You can get it all kind of set up in advance. In advance, yes. But also, you know, the earlier we can talk about great books across the board. And yes, we celebrate this one prize, but there's books that come out every week where we are just talking to booksellers. And like, if you dip into it, it's so good. Like these are the reviews you know, we try and read everything really early. So it's nice that it's early and it, it just so happens. I don't know what the NBA shortlist ever looks like, or, you know, no, that is, no. that's way up here. <laughs> um, it's nice to kind of be, you know, to establish ourselves as tastemakers and say, yeah, yeah. we love this book. We, we love this voice and these voices on this list. And it is worthy of being picked up and poured over and, celebrated and enjoyed it just strikes me though that there's a lot of uh, sort of moaning about the fact that there aren't anywhere near the number of newspaper book reviewers around and it it seems to me like you're trying to pick up the slack here in a way 
Yeah, there's there's some of that. I think the the reviewer kind of format and, you know, traditionally what reviewers have done and honestly, traditionally what publishing looked like is shifting rather seismically in the last few years where it's so much about, you know, smaller communities and word of mouth and developing some of those just areas where you build a trust with someone and then grow that. And I think, you know, the the newspaper recommendations is kind of shifting and changing accordingly. And yet we, all we, all we want to do is recommend books and tell you what we're obsessed with because nothing made me happier when I was working in the stores than saying, you need to read this because I need to talk to someone else about it. And I want to know if you're obsessed with it as much as I am. (laughs) Right. Right. And again, it gets back to the the kind of need to discuss a book once you've read it. Yeah. So you're kind of you're leveraging your role as a recommender of books here. Absolutely. How could we not? We read so many books. There's when you see so much and you're able to work in so much and be in the details and be in it every day and it's your job. Yeah. How could we not want to recommend and elevate what we're excited about? Yeah. Well, I love the fact that you've got, I mean, all these booksellers are, you know, book lovers and readers. And so if they're all agreeing on this, there's some weight behind it. As long as it's genuine, as long as you're not cooking up something with the publisher beforehand. No, (laughs) we don't do that anymore. They don't pay to play for anything much to their chagrin. That's coming from, again, I started in the stores a while ago. And I, I think the shift in the last few years of us trusting each other, where we get a lot of information from the industry, but they tell us a lot of information and kind of level things to us and we level things to them. And it's, it is a much more cohesive and symbiotic and trust-based relationship where I have booksellers email me every single day about what they're reading and and what they're excited about and what's starting to percolate and what they're being asked for. And we have calls with every single store every week. Um, We have a whole big call with hundreds of people on it. It's very much, you know, I understand how intelligent our booksellers are our, our field is the acumen in the field is unmatched. The, we want to leverage that acumen and trust the intelligence of our booksellers across the nation because they're smart and they're good at recommending books and they're building kind of their local community bookstores. So it's just giving them the tools they need and then also celebrating their ability to pick really good books. It's mm. not just me if I would that what a power trip oh my god yeah it'd be too too risky I mean here you've got a critical mass of smart readers who agree on something it's likely it's likely that you guys are going to pick something that's 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 you know more likely that you're going to pick something that's worth reading I think so (laughs) (laughs) okay so one of the top reasons to to visit a bookstore, aside from the joy of browsing and uh, discovering new books, is uh, is to take advantage of this 
this knowledge, this expertise uh, of the uh, of the bookseller. So it, again, it seems to me that this is what you're marketing, in effect. You know, I mean, sure, you're marketing the books, but you're also marketing this service. Yes, you don't. I mean, how sterile is it to have an algorithm say this is what you need to buy next? Right. And, you know, we're the we are so much more than the physical manifestation of that algorithm (laughs) because we're a living, breathing human who's reacting and thinking and looking at what is working and what we love and understanding what really you're looking for because it's different in person. It's a, it's a wholly different experience to look at books on a table and feel them and touch them. And, you know, that visceral reaction to a book, I think is, it's part of the whole reading experience. And it's why we have so many people who come in and browse and chat and figure out what they need to read next. Yeah, I had a great experience uh, in uh, Berlin at uh, Dussmann's. There's a big bookstore there. Mm-hmm. I walked into the, it's the English language part of the bookstore because it's gigantic, the whole store itself. And I would, couldn't believe how many of those books I wanted to buy. It's just like they kind of knew my taste. It was bizarre. So, and that kind of feeling, uh, it's like, uh, yeah, they're doing me a service. I come into that store and I think, holy smokes, I never knew about these. And and uh, how exciting. It's a service. And then you also get, you know, you can feel seen. You you feel like someone <laughs> understands really what you're looking for. And what, how, how much more human can you get? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, how are you, this is how you're going to take back market share from Amazon. Is that how you're going to do it then? I don't how even, else are you going to do it? I shouldn't, I shouldn't say this, but I don't even care what Amazon is doing. I care about being the best bookstore. Right. And they don't care what they're doing with books. So why no. would I look at what they're doing? So it's really taking a step back and thinking critically and using common sense and thinking about what I love as a reader and what booksellers are saying and what we're seeing in stores and, you know, reacting to that. Because I think for a long time, it was all about what they were doing and how can we compete with what they were doing. And we got away from what we needed to do, which is be the best bookseller we can. So it's less about that and more about who are we as as the book authority in the United States. Okay. So Knopf is pretty happy then. I think so. Yeah. They're ecstatic about this. (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know, how come it it wasn't an independent, a little indie. I want it. You know, when that book, when we find that, yes, it will be. Okay. It's not, you know, we didn't do PRH because it because it was PRH. It's really content led. For it's it's the read, and that is that is what drives it. That's what drives the decision. Honestly. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, okay, so let's just get into your job here, overseeing the book buying team. So that's what that's not local. That's national or what? It's um it's national. So it's 
booksellers. That's been downsized. Sorry to interrupt. That's been downsized, right? Yes. And it's also, we've shifted kind of how we're set up. So really we're kind of putting, you know, aces in their places of what they're good at. And what my team really focuses on is the content and is the author positioning and is the read and is the, you know, the book experience itself and kind of understanding that book in the ecosystem of the rest of its category. What does that that mean? So how is this new fiction title going to sit with my, the rest of my millennial fiction? Is it the right format? Is it the, is it what's working in the feminist space? Is this more of an unhinged heroine thriller? Like thinking about how that book compares to books of a similar ilk and then what the positioning is either going way, way bigger or understanding that this is, we're level setting with how it's going to sell, or we don't need another instant pot cookbook. So we're going to pass on this instant pot cookbook and focusing on, you know, not only what the new titles are all the time, because you can get bloated if you buy every book published every single day, but how it fits into the assortment of each shelf and each store. So my team really focuses on those assortments and those new titles and priorities and how they how they jive with each other. So by assortment, you basically mean the selection of books that are on offer at each store. Yes, although obviously the assortment varies. So I, I mentioned the booksellers replenish locally and independently. So we have hundreds of booksellers who do their own replenishment every day. The shift is that all of the new titles because they're presented by publishers are still centrally sent in, but then those new titles are replenished by the stores. So what my team goes in and does is says, you know, if we're going to have an instant pot cookbook, this is the instant pot cookbook. To I have. See. So you do, you basically do your top 10, let's say you say, okay, these are the best ones in each category and you pick. And depending on the category, but it's not so, you know, Frontlist is bought very differently from Backlist because Backlist is fully managed by the stores and they can right. they can make a decision of this isn't a book I want on my shelf, so I'm going to not send it. And then they can also say, I actually do really well with very, very literary fiction. So I'm going to go higher on this one than, you know, a, a store in a, in a different place. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I was fortunate enough to interview James uh, Daunt uh, right when he sort of took over, and it's just so it's just so great to hear that that all of these stores are you know they're kind of being given a new life. You know, they they've been given control over how they sell books. It's uh, it's it, it must make for a you know more interesting, fulfilling job too which is is something to say isn't it yes I think you want to come to work and really think and be creative and you know do what's right for your area we don't know what's best for well over our 600 stores for each little small thing but we can give the stores all of the tools they need and the information we have so they can make an informed decision and you know focus on what we think is big, but also what they can add into their market and grow and push. And, you know, there are stores that do extremely well with dark academia and fantasy. And, you know, that looks very different than a store that is focused on World War II narratives and, you know, nonfiction memoirs and reference workbooks. So I think it just, 
it is fully, you know, a trust on both sides of the stores developing what's right for them and us giving them what they need and, you know, telling them what we've learned and in what we've seen in other stores and, and helping them. Yeah. Here's a frightening thought. I guess there are parts of the country that go big into Christian books. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to say, hey, wait a minute, this is not good to combine religion and politics. We're not we're not going to put this stuff in our store. You're just going to sell what sells, right? Well, there's different. It's a very complicated way we buy new books because there are different laydowns for different areas depending on the type of book. So it's not us one size fits all for every book that comes in. Some stores may get a book, some stores may not, which is also, yeah. So, but there is, there are stores that do really well with religious books and they set a section or a shop accordingly. And it's a lot bigger than stores that don't do as well with religious books. The size of it, is dependent on the market. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying, though, is you're not putting in in any kind of moral, like combining politics and religion is dangerous. And that's happening uh, in the United States to a kind of a scary degree. But you're not going to let that influence your economical decision. No. We buy, you know, you, we buy a lot you, of books. <laughs> you, you buy you buy what's gonna you think is gonna sell, obviously. What's gonna sell and yeah. This is an interesting topic here, this sort of commercial versus moral, but but uh, yeah, we could dwell on that for but we but we won't, I guess. Okay, so you do these initiatives for promotional book strategy. So what what exactly is that? So that's working with our, we, we have a commercial strategy team too. So when we do have a big book and when we do celebrate our book of the year, discover, or even if it's just a, a priority title and it's a, you know, it's a new Cormac McCarthy, um, what are we doing with the publishers to celebrate that in stores? And again, the giving stores something interesting or fun or just a nice giveaway for customers or like what bookmarks, pins, bookmarks, um, posters, the creative assets, just how it's positioned in stores, which again, Uh, looks different in every store, but at least negotiating from, you know, our, our office level to get a lot of that support material sent to stores. Okay. And then of course there's the, do you, do you get involved in teeing up authors in the stores? Um, we have an author events team, which obviously looked very different the last few years because we pivoted to a lot of virtual events, but we have three wonderful ladies who help coordinate all of the events in all stores. <laughs> um, and then there's also the store teams that set up a lot of their own events. So that's a piece of, you know, what our, what our book priorities are, which are really set by, you know, my team and what we're seeing from booksellers, but it's, it's kind of all tied together in this ecosystem. Okay. Just uh, getting back, I'm not going to dwell on it, but getting back to this Christian thing, are are Christian books booming? Like, uh, have they gone up a big time in the past five years? 
they haven't been explosive. I mean, we saw some growth when the Lifeway stores closed because some of that, um, some of those customers came came to us, but not in an explosive way that, you know, manga, <laughs> manga is. <laughs> yes, yes. Why is, and it's yeah. just in the last five years or so, right? Yeah, we've I mean, really, it's, you know, it's been it's been on a steady increase, but why is this? You know, and and, and we've had manga for a long time, which is why yeah. we have such a strong you know clientele in that space. But um, really, it's the last three years that we've seen the explosive growth. That's just the trajectory was massive. A lot of it is tied to the anime drops of core series. So, like right now, Chainsaw Man is airing, and we're seeing massive lifts because of that. Um, I think the the bingeability of it, the different genres within manga, because once you're in the the manga environment, there's so many series that are considered classics. And then the new ones to discover, like Kaiju number eight, you know, going more into manhwa and then light novels, which is, you know, not as many panels. It's it's more written with some illustrations. So it's it's a whole world unto itself, but it's also, I think, <laughs> a gateway for for a lot of people who aren't as comfortable read, sitting and reading full novels, but they love a propulsive action-packed story or romance slice of life or coming of age fantasy. You know, there's all of the genres that we love across the store in fiction and genre fiction also live in manga. It's just in a different format. Okay. So what's the difference between manga and a graphic novel then? So manga is because it comes from Japan, they're, they're, it's always the Japanese yeah. manga, and it's a style yeah. that was in the late 19th century. Yeah. A lot of it is the format, it's black and white. Graphic novels is, you know, has more of a comic style, and it's read front to back instead of back to front. Sorry, and wait a sec. Manga is black and white, and it's read back to front? The, the interiors of most mangas are black and white, and graphic novels are usually full color. So it's just the 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 way that you read it is slightly different. Sorry, if I'm dist- uh, uh, appear distracted here, it's because my cat goes ape shit every time I do an interview. <laughs> she, she's just such a freaking hog for attention. But anyway, I have two cats, which is why it's good I'm in the office instead. Eowyn and Artemis are are fully different. Um, <laughs> But to, so um, manga are read from right to left. Sorry, I said back to front, but it's it's right to left and then top I to see. bottom. But it's the pages backwards. Yeah, I understand. Backwards okay. for us in the West, but yeah. So you're saying that this explosion is primarily driven by other media? Well, no, I want to be careful about that because it's, you know, I think we've seen sustained lifts because of media, because I think everyone sees the market opportunity. But I really think, me and a few other coworkers grew up <laughs> reading manga, but it was a very like hipster, slightly, yeah. you know, it was, yeah. it was a very different, you know, personality trait than it is now. Okay. It's just kind of slowly been developing. And I think the art on each page and the style and what it is, like once you're in manga, you, there's so much content to discover. And I guess there's a real collecting culture in there too, is there? Yes. Yeah. And does collecting it all come and... out of Japan? Sorry, does it all come out of Japan? If or? it is manga, it is Japanese based. Um, right. So most of it is. And then I think printers use different, you know, different areas. Manwa, which is 
is from Korea. So manga is specifically Japan and then manhwa, M-A-N-H-W-A, is um, Korean comics. Right. Okay. Now, with this Rabbit Hutch novel, are you going to discount it, especially so that the indies are going to have more trouble selling it or not? No. No. You wouldn't do that. No. Stores are deciding the discount they want on it, if at all. Um, You know, it's been out since August and a lot of stores just have tables dedicated to it. You know, bookseller blurbs, things like that. Not trying to undercut anyone. It's more just that's a book we want everyone to read. So we're hand selling it. Yeah. Okay. So we talked a bit about the Discover Prize and then you've got these monthly book picks, right? Mm -hmm. We have a few programs every month where. It's either a trade paperback we love that we that we want to push and think it's a good title. And then we have book club. So a lot of times we have YA and trade book club. So YA is really for the, the teen and young adult audience. Um, and we create exclusive editions for those book clubs. So there's usually a reading group guide. Um, a lot of stores decide if they want to do a, a physical book club meetup around that book um, or not. But, you know, it's the type of books that are that are discussion worthy. Yeah. Okay. Like you, you don't do any mailing of these books then it's all you have to come into the store to buy them. Yes. I mean, yep. I mean, or order online, but yeah. Yeah. Right. I see. Okay. So really, I mean, you're out there creating buzz for these books. You're, you want to get people to buy them, read them, talk about them. So that, I mean, word of mouth is the big, the big thing right uh to sell books so you're yeah. giving you're giving this a real kickstart yeah you know word of mouth both for customers but also for me internally is getting our booksellers excited about it and yeah. making it available to read months and months and months beforehand so they can download it or sending them advanced copies and so yes getting readers across the nation excited but also really activating our book selling team and getting them excited about it too i see so you're a you're a cheerleader a motivator you're a, yeah actually my ni- <laughs> exactly my nickname um for for our teams were like the internal cheerleaders where we are the the lovers of our subject but we we want everyone to love them as much as we do <laughs> okay just winding down here big picture why are you in the business in the first place? How'd you get in and, and why? So this, the book business was not my plan growing up. I always wanted to be a lawyer. There's lawyers in my family. There's too many damn lawyers in the country. <laughs> I really wanted to be a lawyer. So I actually went to law school for a semester at DePaul in Chicago, but I have never been more depressed in my life when I was in, when I was in law school, <laughs> academics were fine, but I, I was really miserable and I was really having a crisis because I grew up with this idea of being a lawyer and I had worked towards it and I had, you know, guessed it at law firms and seen things. And one of the hardest things I've ever done was deciding to quit law school. Cause I was, you know, yeah. that was not my aesthetic was quitting things. So I quit and I moved in with my grandma back in Cleveland, Ohio <laughs> And I started working as a paralegal, but then I also asked myself, what do I like being around while I figure out what I'm going to do with my life? Because my life's a disaster right now, you know, 
uh, it's the end of the world in your early 20s when you make a, a life decision. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. yeah. So I um, I also got a part-time job at my local BNN because I was like, oh, I'm spending money here anyway. I'm here all the time. I love this store. I'll get a part-time job. So I'll work both. So I was working 60, 70 hours between the two jobs. And then still established that I did not want a legal career as I was a paralegal, which again, you know, made more, but I was miserable. So I was like, right decision to quit. And a manager uh, merch position opened up at the store, um, at the store level. And then I started, you know, the more I kind of entrenched myself in the book industry and the career and kind of, you know, looking at publishing and editing, but also what you could do as a retailer and kind of seeing everything from everyone is so much more exciting than a specific list. And then I worked my way up from there. So I moved from Cleveland to New York when there was an assistant buyer position open in kids nonfiction books, and then kind of grew from there into my current role. So So, uh, why'd you get promoted, do you think? Recently? (laughs) So I, I think, you know, everyone here is an extremely hard worker and I'm not an exception. I do work really hard because I'm passionate about the industry and about books and about wanting more people to read and, you know, discover what they're missing because reading is just the, the best and the best kind of escape. Why's but that? I think every single book that I make my friends read too we all take something slightly different from it. And I love that there, it sparks a difference in perspective and discussion and it can be emotional and it can be laugh out loud and it can make me cry or sob or throw the book or, you know, say, oh, that was an enjoyable escape for two hours. You know, it's because it elicits a reaction and because it's a perspective of, you know, the human experience, no matter what book it is, it could be sci-fi fantasy or it could be a, a memoir or it's, it's just a slice into someone's personal perspective. And I think from, you know, getting very deep real quick, that's, that's why we're here is to connect with other people and to have, have that opportunity to see what's out there and walk in someone else's shoes and have an experience that's memorable. And that's what reading is to me. And I just, you know, when I get excited about books and want to talk about books, it gets other people excited about books. So I'm lucky to, I'm so every day I think about how lucky I am to have a role like this in a company like this with what we're doing right now. But there was no, you know, clear path to get here. It was a lot of hard work and a lot of changes and a lot of, you know, everyone, both booksellers in the stores and booksellers in the home office loves books and just wants us to succeed. What about the concern that authoritarianism is on the rise? And it's right in your face in the United States. In what way? Do you think reading and uh, putting important books into readers hands can help prevent that hopefully you know i we as a bookseller are not going to blanketly fix the political problems or the societal problems in the united states but we can create a reprieve and a destination and a safe place for people okay just finally uh what are some of the 
coolest ideas you've had that maybe you haven't quite implemented to do what you do? Coolest ideas around? Selling more books, basically. Good books. Like, what are some of the coolest things you've thought of doing and maybe haven't quite done yet? I don't know. I keep trying to do everything I think of. So (laughs) (laughs) that that alone makes it harder. Um, We did do something really cool. So I love the book Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin that came out this last summer. It's one of my favorite books of all time, if I'm being honest. It's in my top 20, which is really saying something. Mm -hmm. We, you know, a thread of that, a thread of that book is there's this, you know, focus on gaming. They're creating these games and it starts in the eighties and it goes through the present time, but um, Donkey Kong plays a part in it. (laughs) So we actually put a Donkey Kong machine in our union square store and our um, store in LA in the Grove, just as like a, you know, there's so many fun expressions of what a book can be. It doesn't have to just be a bookmark. It can be an installation or it can be something, you know, massive, you know, clouds for cloud cuckoo land or, you know, really working on what the experience is of that book. So there's some ideas like that, but all of it is always anchored in, you know, what is the read? What does that manifestation look like? All of my ideas stem from smarter ideas from authors who are brilliant. (laughs) Okay. Could you give me a list of your top 10 after this, uh, if after this conversation? Oh, yes. And it's, People always ask me this because it is so, it's so hard to call down it. And it also can be, I like to, I like to, my list doesn't change, but if you're looking for book recommendations, it'll change based on what you like to read and, and what you're interested in. But, you know, I always yeah, have your like current a, top 10. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it changes. Yeah, it absolutely changes. But um, there's some great ones. Marriage Portrait. I have to talk. Maggie O'Farrell's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that, that one is so good. Rabbit Hutch, um, Lessons in Chemistry is the book you'd want to recommend to literally everyone in your life. It is that type of read. There's a few kind of slightly rough scenes, but that makes the hopeful, fantastic scenes that much richer. It's so good. Yes, I'll send you a list. Look, I'm already going off. Yeah. Wonderful. (laughs) Well, it's so nice to talk uh, to someone who loves books uh, in the way that you do. And it's also reassuring, uh, I think, uh, to know that you're at, at the helm there doing uh, doing the good work you're doing. So thank you for uh, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is, this is wonderful. I'll talk books anytime, anywhere. <laughs> so good. Okay. So it's, uh, it's Shannon DeVito, who is the director of books uh, at Barnes & Noble. Thanks again. All right. Thank you so much.